I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We are here previewing all things week seven in the NFL. Live here on YouTube, sipping our coffee and just having a good old time. Yeah, the machine worked. It's great. Didn't have to descale it or anything. Yeah, the thing just rinses on its own. If we get this locked in coffee machine over here at the office, it's hit or miss. Yeah, as well, far as functionality goes, when it works, when you don't have to do seven things to get to get the coffee, it's good. Also, by the way, it's ready to be decreased. So if someone upstairs is listening, if you could just go <laughs> ahead and decrease that, that's a joke. By the way, somebody got offended one time about me doing stuff like that. So yeah. Anyway, let's go. Week seven. By the way, tonight Saints and Cardinals. If you want a preview for that, go check out yesterday's episode where I did a poor job of throwing it to Nick Underhill. If you listen to that show, Nick Underhill of New Orleans Football. Did a great job previewing the game, getting into what's happening with the Saints. So go check out yesterday's show, our midweek Wednesday show, for our preview of Cardinals and Saints. Yeah, well, let's, where do we go? I went, I chose the Cardinals, two and a half point favorites. I wanted the Cardinals, and then I said, I'm going Costanza, I'm going the opposite. I'm going to take the opposite of my feelings. Yeah, because as of this week, you are 28 games under 500. Yeah, you have we, decided to take the opposite pick to whatever your inclination is on that play. I'm down hundreds of units. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we're going to creep back toward average. That's what we're going to do by going with the complete opposite of what I feel. So I'm taking the New Orleans Saints to cover despite all of their injuries. But let's get in to the rest of Week 7. Kansas City Chiefs at the San Francisco 49ers. This looks like the absolute game of the week in a week where like, the spreads are starting to stretch out a little bit. Remember I said that a couple weeks ago? There weren't many spreads over four or five points, and now it's like they're starting to spread out. We start to, We know more about teams. But this one, Chiefs are favored by two and a half on the road against the 49ers. The big question for me is all of the 49ers injuries. Nick Bosa, the secondary, they, they, they are really banged up on the defensive side of the ball. It feels like this would have been an awesome matchup three weeks ago when Emmanuel Mosley was still playing and not hurt, but still should be a pretty good game, I think. Nick Bosa is a huge one. Um, he I is... think he'll play. NBC Sports is reporting he's feeling, quote, pretty optimistic about yeah. his chances of playing. He's been dealing with a groin injury. He's still leading the NFL in pressures, despite not playing the last week and a half. Yeah. Um, so getting Nick Bosa back is is a game changer, particularly because the Chiefs tackles have been not great so far this year. Orlando Brown is on pace for his worst season or his worst overall PFF grade um, over the course of the year. He's grading in the 60s right now. Uh, 50s for a pass protection, giving up 22 pressures. Andrew Wiley on the other side, that's kind of where he resides usually and is in the same kind of ballpark. He's given up six sacks already, a uh, pass blocking grade of 55. So you throw Nick Bosa into the, the mix. I think he leads the NFL in pressure rate. Um, but if he's there, like that's a massive boost for the 49ers pass rush. But you the, also have Eric Armstead did not participate. He's injured. And these guys are all officially questionable. Eric Armstead, um, 
Emmanuel Mosley, who I mentioned, has already been placed on injured reserve, but Charvarius Ward on the other side has been one of the best corners in the league this year. Mm -hmm. He's questionable. Jimmy Ward, questionable. Talanola Hufanga, one of the best safeties in the league this year. Concussion protocol, questionable. And uh, your guy Drake Jackson, the rookie explosive edge rusher, also questionable. Samson Ebucam, so that's three edge defenders. Yeah. All questionable. And I want to see this full Niners squad go up against this Chiefs offense, man. Yeah, and even if all their edge rushers minus Bosa were out there, the drop-off between Bosa and the next best guy is colossal. Huh. Are they really drilling right now? Is Is there drilling happening right here? (laughs) Does that come through in the the microphones? Shout in the chat if you can hear uh, drilling in the background. Let us know if you can hear the construction here at the office. Oh, and also hit the like button, not for the drilling, but for the actual show we're trying to put on in a construction site. Um, and spread the word. Tell your friends. We're live here. Preview in week seven. Look, we will fight through drilling noise, construction, whatever it is. We'll keep going. Uh, Niners offensively have kind of been hit or miss here, Sam. Right? I mean, we've had a few games where they've struggled to move the ball. And the old narrative for the 49ers was, well, yeah, that's because there's always a missing Kittle or, you know, someone's hurt or whatever. All those guys have been here, right? I mean, the last couple of weeks we've had Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and, and Debo Samuel out there. They need those guys. This feels like one of those games. The Chiefs are not playing well defensively again. Their their defense has been just a roller coaster ride these last few years. It seems where they went from really bad and Spags, you know, Spags comes in, he's good enough, and then they get torched, and then they're pretty good. They're in a bad spot right now. I think this Chiefs defense. They played all right last week and just got beaten by some big time throws by Josh Allen. But to me, this needs to be a game for the where the 49ers dudes need to take over here. Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. Yeah, I mean, anytime those guys can fire, it's a big part. Like, one of the reasons Jimmy Garoppolo and, in fact, any 49ers quarterback over the Kyle Shanahan era has been able to put up these crazy numbers is because of these yards-after-the-catch monsters they've had in the passing game. So if those guys fire, it completely changes what the output of that offense is. So uh, Chiefs coming off the loss to the Bills. Um, they were held to 20 points. They've, had, they've got two losses this year, Bills and the Colts. Overall, though... Chiefs offense is looking pretty good, and absolutely that side of the ball is the matchup to watch, right? Chiefs offense, Niners defense, all the injuries that we mentioned on the 49ers side, will the Chiefs be able to take advantage even if they're missing just a couple of those guys? Yeah, and it feels like they should, right? I mean, as good as the 49ers defense looked and the numbers they were putting up, like Atlanta just went and wrecked them in terms of points. So Atlanta, Kansas City, yeah, I don't know if that's apples to apples, though. I don't think you look at what Atlanta did and said and say, well, they did well against the Niners' offense, defense, therefore the Chiefs will. The Falcons did it with 15 dropbacks. It was a run-first attack. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of – not so much trickeration, but you've got some play action in there. and um, It's just a completely different offense. Can we get somebody to stop the construction, please? I'm just kidding. Yeah, there you go. But seriously. Yeah, yeah there stopped. You go. stopped. Yeah. Well done. They usually check with us. Like, hey, guys, we're about to start drilling right above your studio. Yeah. Are you guys going live? Yeah. <laughs> they usually do that. What else are you looking for in this game? I think the, the point of the Chiefs tackles, and when you're watching a game, there are sometimes Mahomes will bring the pressure upon himself. I think it's I, – I, I, I try to keep, like, a keen eye toward this because what we, we consider this in our grading when Mahomes drops back and he – you know really drops back too far and starts scrambling out and it looks like 
Orlando Brown or whichever tackle gets whooped. Like, it looks like somebody's just running right around him. But some of that is because Mahomes will drop back so far and, and leave the pocket. But overall, like you're saying, we account for that. And Orlando Brown's still giving up a lot of pressures. If Nick Bosa is out there, they need him. I mean, they need one of those, like, 8 to 10 pressure games, don't they, to, to slow down this Chiefs offense? Yeah, I mean, they really do need a monster game from Nick Bosa. Otherwise, it's tough to see how they can they can slow it down, particularly with the injuries that they've got all across that defense now. I, Without that, I find it very difficult to imagine a world where this defense can really take any kind of edge off the Chiefs offense. All right, man, where are you going with this one? The game of the week, 49ers and the Chiefs. Chiefs, because of what I just said. 49ers, number five in pressure rate. They're absolutely going to need that. My heart is saying Kansas City, which means I'm going San Francisco. Got it. Going with the Niners here to cover the two and a half at home. Right? At home here, Mm -hmm. Niners are going to cover because I think the Chiefs are going to (laughs) cover. So I'm taking the Niners. I'm sticking Uh, with us. I'm sticking with this 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 works. If you end up going, you know, whatever, how many games we got this week? 14? Yeah. If you end up going like 11 and 3. Yeah. Based off what you wouldn't do. Yep. It would be incredible. This would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. We'll just keep that going for the rest of the year. Full Costanza. <laughs> I will not deviate from it. This, I will tell you what I feel, and then I will take and the do opposite. do the opposite. I have no money at stake. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I mean, I can't get any worse than what I'm doing. I'm usually pretty good at picking and all that stuff. Just yeah, a bad not year. Not this year. It's just a... Neither of us are, by the way. I've been mocking you minus 28 games under 500. I'm minus 10 after the last couple of weeks. Just like it's, it's just like people think you're 5-5 five, five compared to me, but you're not. Yeah. You know? I was flying for the first few weeks, and then the last two have been miserable. All right. Let's get to the next game. Yeah. Having a rough show here. Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee... I'm distracted by the construction. Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. Titans are favored by two and a half. Titans coming off their bye. Uh, Colts coming off of a big win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Didn't look anything like the previous Thursday night game where they struggled to move the ball. But they pulled this one off. Matt Ryan dropping back about 60 times on Sunday and having his best game as a Colt as far as stats go. And, man, it was just a different feel for this Colts offense for the first time. They had not moved the ball consistently at all prior to this Jags game, and they put a lot of points on the board, did a much better job there. Titans, uh, they're one of those teams. They're 3-2 and two on a three-game winning streak. These, both these teams have winning records. It yeah. doesn't feel that way based off what we know about them so far. Yeah, I mean, that's, to, that's, that's the NFL right now, right? No team feels good except, like, three of them. So some of the teams that don't feel good have winning records. Uh, the stat that stood out to me, I saw it today, I was like, okay, this explains the Titans. They've, they've scored on 92%. Scored a touchdown on 92% of their red zone drives. That's a lot. Next closest team is 75%. And it's like when I was describing the Titans-Raiders game a couple of weeks ago, it was like, yeah, the Titans didn't really outplay the Raiders. They just they scored in the red zone, the Raiders didn't, and that was it. And, and those, those things are tough to sustain, but I think that – describes the titans they are taking advantage of those opportunities in the red zone they haven't had many of them but they're scoring when they get there and just another variable team just kind of doing the little things to win so far yeah um i i'm confused about both of these teams particularly the titans but that's not new i wasn't able to figure them out all last season because they kept winning games and i thought they would lose yeah i'm kind of <laughs> out on figuring out the titans at all to me this game kind of comes down to you know, can this Colts offensive line just stay viable? Like, just be alive, be functioning? Because Matt Ryan needs that at this point in his career, and their line has been terrible so far this year. And they're shuffling 
you know, personnel trying to find out what the best combination is because they're kind of stuck with a lot of these players. So you, they've just got to figure out where they're, where they're least damaging. That's effectively what they're doing right now with Matt Pryor in particular is essentially where does he do the, the least damage? You know, they've had him at left tackle at the start of the season. It was catastrophic. They put him at right tackle. It may have been even worse. They've moved him inside to guard. It honestly might be even worse at guard. But at least putting him at guard means you can play Braden Smith at right tackle where he's been a good right tackle. So it's probably a net win across the board. But you've got the rookie Bernard Ryman at left tackle hasn't looked great early. You know, it's like 100 snaps in. So, you know, TBD. Um Braden Smith wasn't playing well at right tackle before he moved into guard, and now he's back at right tackle, so we'll see. And then Pryor has been pretty disastrous. Other guys in the interior haven't been great either. Like, this line has just been abysmal. And if it's that bad against Tennessee, that's enough for the Titans to, to have success. Titans do have the number four pass rushing grade in the NFL as a team right now, led by Jeffrey Simmons. Despite not having their best pass rush, well, despite not having their highest highest paid paid edge rushers. Yes. So Bud Dupree played only nine snaps back in week four. That was the last time we saw him. He should be back now. Against the Colts, he should be back. Bad Dupree. Um, Come on, man. Don't be so mean. Uh, Harold Landry's been out for the season, but Jeffrey Simmons, that class of 2019 interior defensive linemen having monster breakout seasons. Jeffrey Simmons, Quinnen Williams, and Dexter Lawrence, all of those guys have an awesome season so far. So the Titans have the number four pass rush grade in the NFL. Uh, the other thing that I, you know, you know me and scheduling quirks, man. I can't stand them. Hmm. The Colts will now have played, uh, finished their division games against the Jaguars and the Titans Yeah. after this week. Seven weeks into the season. why you think that's a problem. It's just weird. Okay. It's, just, it's a quirk. But that means you can't see those games late in the season when things are on the line. I don't want to see the Colts and the Jags in week 17 or 18 again. Why not? Why not? I mean, division games mean more. That's why they usually have a couple early they and then mean a more, few but late. They don't want to watch them. I don't want to watch the Colts and Jags again. It's just weird that the Colts in seven weeks will have played four division games, none against the Texans, right? That they've just beaten, yeah, that sure. they've just played two teams, and they, they won't see these teams until next year. That's it. See you later. That's weird. I'm just All highlighting right. it. I'm just pointing it out. Um, so the Titans did win the last matchup, 24-17 to in Indianapolis. They got up early. The Titans, you can't figure out the Colts. How do you figure out the Titans? They, they don't score in the fourth quarter. They don't play. They don't, they're they're well, awesome early. That's handy because the Colts don't concede in the fourth quarter. So you put them together where it matches. Yeah, so, so this game will be decided by the, at the end of the third quarter. Titans fact, are going to get up 17 to nothing again, yeah. and then Colts come back. Don't bother playing the fourth quarter. Just wrap it. Whoever's leading when the clock ticks down to zero at the end of the third, done. Titans by two and a half here. Um, what are you feeling here? Uh, yeah, I, this is tough. I, I'm I'm going to lean Tennessee, even though I don't love that. I don't like either team. No. I don't, cause, because of the, the things that, like Tennessee's red zone efficiency should regress, right? Yes. You're not just Hard. magically that much better than everybody in the red zone, even if you have a Derrick Henry, and they've done a good job. I mean, I saw it, I saw it in training camp when I was there. They do a good job scheming up those seam routes and their tight ends and backs out of the backfield. But that's got to regress at some point, right? So I'm feeling Colts, which means I'm going tight. <laughs> Can you type mine in over here? Yeah, in a second. Okay, so, all right, we'll get that. So I'm going, uh, I'm going Titans just like you. All right. 
All right, you ready for this? You went. Who did you go last time? You, San Francisco. Okay. Gotcha. San Francisco. I, I'm, I think the Chiefs. San Francisco. How about this, Sam? Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. Mm -hmm. The stakes are high. The tension is higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks, and you watch the ball as it lands. Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can bet any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check it out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. So you can just get in here and bet on Tennessee, Indy, and just go parlays left and right. Stack them up in the same game. And to make things even sweeter, you could throw down on these stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, using the code PFF. I thought yeah. that was your segue into something, but apparently it was just an ad read. Tricked you. Yeah. Got you there. Because, huh? you know, the Chargers with their kicker, the, the busted hamstring. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming back. That's uh, Seahawks Chargers the next game. You'll be proud of me, too. There was a lot of stuff in parentheses there that I didn't read. <laughs> there was a lot of instructions in that read that I didn't... Uh, Bring to the air. You managed to do that on the fly, all in your head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very professional. Well done. Very professional. You always have to. I listened to a podcast one time who made fun of other podcasts for complimenting their segues. Okay. And I was like, this guy might be watching us. Might be, might be us. Yeah. All right, Seattle Seahawks at the Los Angeles Chargers. It's our third, quote-unquote, game of the week. Chargers favored by five and a half here against the Seahawks. Chargers are a quiet four and two. That's the story of the season, right? The Colts, the Titans... The Chargers, they, they all don't feel good, but they're all, they're, they all have winning record, records here. Yeah. Whereas Seattle feels like they're overachieving to 3-3. Three and three. Yeah. So what's going what's gonna to give here? And the Chargers feel like the Chargers don't feel good, and they're 4-2. That's what I mean. Because yeah. they, like you know, they, they were supposed to be Super Bowl contenders, and yet they actually have the same record as the Chiefs, but it doesn't feel like it. Teams that don't feel good, are uh, they have winning records right now. Yeah. They're a kicker. Making those kicks with a busted hamstring. Hopkins? Genuinely incredible. Yeah. Like, good. I've, I've done a hamstring multiple times, and you can't walk properly, let alone let alone kick a ball knowing that the end of that swing is going to be agony. Like, I could, I could just about get my head around the idea of giving it a shot, but I would, I would expect the ball to go wide, knowing mentally that this is going to hurt a lot and your mechanics are going to go to hell. That guy was nailing them straight down the middle in in intense pain every time it happened. I, I, I mean, okay, as a kicker, and I'm, I'm all for the idea of abolishing kickers as a general point of principle, but that was massively impressive. Yeah, the Chargers were the other team in that game where the Broncos seemed to get a lot of the focus. What's wrong with Russ? Why can't they move the ball? But the Chargers got the win, 19-16. Yeah. to 16. I mentioned at least on yesterday's show, the stat line for Justin Herbert was 57 pass attempts for about 220 yards. Um, doesn't always, you know, we're, we're anti-pure stats here, but the stats don't always tell the entire story, but it tells a story of a very inefficient pass game the other night, inconsistent well, from Justin the Chargers Herbert, across the board. His average depth of target this year is 6.8 yards. Bailey Zappi's average depth of target is 6.7 yards. Yeah. Bailey Zappi and Justin Herbert should not have the same average depth of target. Yeah, I mean, if 
if I didn't know better, if we didn't have more information on Herbert from previous years, I would say, is it still the ribs? You know, is it still the the torn cartilage or whatever it was? But yeah, they're not throwing the ball down the field at all. Shortest average depth of target. He's he's sixth lowest. Um, and it's an intriguing group of guys. You know, you have Daniel Jones and Kirk Cousins mm. lower. Cousins kind of makes sense. He kind of has that reputation. But Matthew Stafford has the third lowest, which just mostly coincides with the offensive line and just they're yeah. getting rid of the ball and teams are taking away their, their deep ball. Matt Ryan, Bailey Zappi, as you mentioned, and then Herbert. But we always describe Herbert as this big-armed dude who's going to flip the field and he's got great carry on the ball. They need to tap into his aggressive. They, they have to be more aggressive with Herbert Yeah, schematically. Again, he's, he's not quite, but he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in turnover-worthy play rate, which, again, like, it, it's, that's great. A quarterback not putting the ball in harm's way is a good thing. Don't, don't for a minute say that it isn't. But I don't think a guy of, with Justin Herbert's skill set should be at that level of turnover-worthy play rate because it means he's probably not being as aggressive as he should be. And you combine that with average depth of target and a couple of other data points. And big-time big throw rate, by the way. He's 25th. Yeah. So you, you can put all those things together, and they all make the same point, which is you need to be more aggressive with this guy because you have he has the skills to make those plays, which is something that is not on the table for a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, there are quarterbacks where you need them to be careful with the football because they don't bring enough positive to the table outside of that. Right. So you can't screw up. Um, but Herbert brings plenty of positive to the table if you tap into it. So stop bottling him up and making him play this like hyper-conservative game manager style of game. I, I will say, so there, on one hand, it's like, hey, let's be more aggressive. On the other hand, the other night felt like if, if Herbert put that game on tape in his second or third game in the NFL, I would say, hey, that kind of makes sense. We saw some of that at Oregon. The reason why I think people were lower on Herbert than they should have, obviously, was because he was inconsistent at Oregon. And there was this conservative offense that really didn't do him any favors, and his accuracy wasn't great, and he didn't have the best late-game awareness, right? Throwing the ball. He, I mean, he had plays the other night. He's throwing the ball. When he did try to throw deep, just throwing the ball straight out of bounds, just either just missing by a bunch or whatever it was. This was one of the first games I think I watched Herbert and said, this kind of matched the Oregon scouting report. Not that he was bad or anything like that. It was just off. And, you know, we've said that. I remember we've said that about Mahomes before where it's like, oh, this was like a Texas Tech game. You know, you don't see it every week, but it was just this highly volatile, put the ball in harm's way, like every now and again. That's just what it felt like from Herbert. I think he's fine. I think he'll bounce back. And I know Keenan Allen's not there, and they've had all these injuries and, and the whole deal. But they got to find a way to get him to be a little bit more aggressive throwing the ball down the field. Um. So, yeah, you've got Herbert and the Chargers on one side, and then our number two graded quarterback, Geno Smith. Now, he's coming off of probably his worst game of the season. It was quiet because they won. But Geno had some of those plays where a little late, accuracy was off, the type of pre-2022 Geno Smith type of games. So is he going to revert back? Is he, is he turning into a pumpkin? Or is it just a one-game anomaly where he'll bounce back here? Um. Yeah, I, I mean, even with struggling as a passer last game, he got almost 50 yards on the ground. Like, he can add that element is important as well. But it was the first game of the season where he didn't have a big-time throw, um, which is notable. Uh, the previous three games, he had multiple big-time throws. The, the game directly before that, he had five. 
So, yeah, that was the first game that wasn't great from Gino. Um, but, you know, that's going to happen. Nobody plays at that kind of level every single week. Josh Allen has a relatively average game, and he's the number one graded quarterback in the league. So I don't think that's necessarily the – in fact, I don't think it is the first sign of, hey, Gino, this thing is about to evaporate, and we're going to go back to being Gino, the backup quarterback, and the guy that flashes every now and again but doesn't have a great – overall level I think this was just a, a not great game for him um, so I, I think he bounces back this week like the Chargers defense it's fine but it's not overwhelming it's not suffocating there's no reason Gino and that offense can't have a good game um, reasons why Seattle's offense could regress a little bit Gino leading the league in completion percentage but fifth in adjusted completion percentage in part because he's got the second lowest drop rate so far this year so seattle's doing a good job catching the ball it looks like tyler lockett is ba- uh, is banged up a little bit could be a little bit challenging if uh if that's the case yeah geno smith and bailey zappy have suffered from the same number of dropped passes yeah there you go yeah zappy's played two games right so they're doing a good job there dk metcalf he's been a problem my uh my feeling ready my feeling is you have to take seattle so you're going to go with... You them. have to take Seattle. Five and a half is a monster number for a Seattle Seahawks team that always plays close games. Yeah. A Chargers ga- team that always seems to play close games, right? It doesn't make sense to take the Chargers at five and a half. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking the Chargers. Yep. Because there's no way I'm... You know, I would absolutely take Seattle in this game. Perfect. I'm going to take the Seahawks. Yeah, for the reasons that I probably laid out right yeah. there, right? Uh-huh. You know? Like, they're going to... They're gonna, it's going to be a good close game. If... If there's a get-right game for Herbert, though, to, to bounce back and, and feel good, it should be this one, right? Seattle's defense, as long as you don't throw it, Tariq Woolen. Yeah, I mean, so Seattle's defense is actually pretty bad, but they've been hiding it a little bit with turnovers, which we know are sort of fluky and transient and come and go. They've had a lot of them recently. Woolen on his own has had four and four games. Uh, five, actually, if you count the fumble recovery, right? Um, yes. So if that evaporates all of a sudden... Oh, the defense looks a lot worse. Wollen and Mike Williams, head-to-head. Yeah, could be a nice little contested catch battle. I want to see, like, a stream. I would pay money for, like, a premium stream that's just DK Metcalf, Tariq Woolen one-on-one practice footage. Oh, man, yeah. That'd be special. We've talked about Woolen a lot here, right? I talk, to, I talk about him on Seattle radio a lot, but never seen somebody his size and speed. Yeah. And length. We've never, We've literally never seen it. And I honestly thought it would take him a year or two before he figured it out if he did. And I'm not saying that he's completely there, but man, very encouraging after six weeks how, how Woolen has, uh, has progressed here. Looks awesome. So keep an eye on that matchup. Tariq Woolen and Mike Williams. I'm taking the Chargers, obviously, to cover the five and a half. Obviously. Cleveland Browns at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens favored by six and a half here. Did you see the stat about the Ravens through six weeks here? Uh, no. Only team in history to hold a ten, at least a 10-point lead in every game and have three losses through six weeks. Mm. What do you do with that? I mean, they've blown multiple 17-point leads, right? Yes. And then another 10-point lead. Last week, a 10-point lead against the Giants. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what to do with it when it was just the 17s before we get to the – added the 10 one on then top of that. Like, I, That's the problem with data points, right? Like, when do they become a trend? Yeah. When, when does it go from a small – you know – this, these are rare cases to uh, you can, this is a trend. And you can always look at those things as essentially two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it's good that you're putting yourself in a position where you're up double digits. That can only be seen as a good thing. 
but it's also really bad that you're finding a way to blow double-digit leads. I and I don't know that you can. I don't think you can reconcile both of those things at the same time. You kind of have to this decide which one is more important. The PFF NFL podcast in 2022 is Steve and Sam sitting here just saying, I'm confused. Yeah. Right? By the Titans, by the Colts, by the Chargers. Here's one more thing to confuse you, right? The old narrative on the Ravens was like, oh, they're a run-first team. They can't play from behind. They can't play catch-up football. They can't play in a pass-first game. Well, if you said... Who's better equipped in the NFL to hold a 10-point lead? You would say it's probably the, the team that has the most rushing yards over right. the last four years, the Ravens. And they're terrible at it. Yeah. I, tend, I still tend to think that the side of the coin I come down on is it's more important to build those leads in the first place than it is to be throwing them away. Like, I Agreed. Think that's like the at more some ins- point, you'll stumble into holding one. Yeah. I think that's the more instructive part of the, the narrative there, which is you're getting into that position in the first place repeatedly. It's like, you know, a striker in soccer that's going through a lean period of scoring goals, but is creating a ton of chances, right? Does that guy just suck? Or is it actually important that he's creating the shots in the first place and eventually he'll figure out how to put a few of them in the net? I tend to think that that's an important part of it. Getting in those positions in the first place is more important for the moment than whether or not you're actually finishing the chances or ending the game. Um, So... Yeah, I, I think obviously it's bad that they've thrown away three wins that they could have easily had. But I think it's still a good thing overall that they've shown that they can build that kind of lead against some of the best teams in the league. Uh, last three weeks, L- Lamar, Lamar feels like he's, he's landing in this, um, he's kind of streaky. He, his, his profile is landing at a streaky passing quarterback. Lamar Jackson was incredible in 2019, almost from start to finish, his MVP caliber season. Definitely took a step back in 2020. Last year, remember there was a point in 2021, he had that incredible game against the Colts on Monday Night Football, had like six incompletions, led the comeback, 440 passing yards. He wasn't missing. But then Lamar hit a stretch where he had multiple turnover-worthy plays per game before getting injured and, and finishing his season. And his passing grade last year ended up the worst of his career, 65.9. Well, this year... It's feeling similar right now where he had, he had three solid games, the same MVP hype that he had last year through you know six or seven weeks last year. But through three weeks, it was Lamar MVP. We already know he's an incredible runner. That has showed up every week, but from a passing standpoint, he was better. Last three weeks, though, five turnover-worthy plays, uh, four actual interceptions, and then the timing of them, right? We have an end zone interception against the Bills that um, it was fourth down, but like he missed an open throw before throwing that. They beat Cincinnati, but it wasn't a great offensive performance. And then last week, interception when they're up a score and then a fumble when they're trying to make the comeback. So uh, part of the comeback attempts, it's not just the defense collapsing. It's also turnovers from the Ravens. And Lamar has hit a run of turnovers, turnover-worthy plays that he did hit in the middle of last year, too. So I think we're, we're running into this a poor stretch of play right now from Lamar Jackson. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think nobody yet is sure whether Deshaun Jackson is going to be playing in this game, which is a fascinating addition to that offense. The guy that's just been a perennial plus to an offense as a deep threat on a team that could use that right now. Um, So we don't know if he's going to play or not. That would be an interesting factor in this whole thing. To me, though, the biggest... I love that idea, Deshaun Jackson and this this offense. It's almost always worked. Not not 100% always, but almost always. Um... To me, though, the most 
uh, important part of this is there's no way Jacoby Brissett plays as bad as he did last week again. Five turnover-worthy plays in that game, which matched the total he had going into that game. He had five turnover-worthy plays in five games and then five in one game against the Patriots. I can't possibly imagine that that repeats itself, at which point the Browns' offense is immediately in a much better position than it was last week and actually puts up some points and you know has that incredible run game and all those kinds of things. And then you sort of shift the onus back onto what Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' offense does. Like, this could actually be quite a high-scoring shootout. Yeah, I mean, the, the Browns' defense has just been terrible. Um, if we're talking a weakness here, is this, this also could be one of those games where Baltimore really gets back to the run game. The, the Browns have one of the worst groups of interior yeah. defensive linemen in the league. Uh, they've been banged up along the defensive line. Linebackers had a, they had a rough game last week as well, both off of play action. And just this feels like it, this could be an old school Ravens game where they get their offense cooking, run, play action, the whole thing. Deshaun Jackson, if he's healthy, of course, we'll have a 75-yarder. That's what he does. Um, so the, I, I think the Ravens could roll here. So I'm going with the Browns to cover the six and a half because you think the Ravens, Ravens I think the Ravens roll okay so I'm taking the Browns I'm also taking the Browns but for the reason that I think they will actually cover because you believe in Brissett bouncing back yeah not even so much bouncing back just not being as bad as he was last week oh jeez what the heck I'll send you a note on what's happening even though best ball mania has ended underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick em game just look at your favorite or least favorite player stats pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps pick between two and five players for your pick em entry get all your picks right and you'll take home some cold hard cash it's simple to get started just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app sign up with promo code pff and underdog will double your first deposit up to 100 that's underdog fantasy promo code pff get in on the action today all right the next game new york giants at the jacksonville jaguars hmm the jaguars are favored by three at home against the five and one giants discuss okay I will simply point out that evidently Vegas is as confident in the Giants as I have been. Yeah. Giants are 5-1. and one. They're also apparently, you know, they... they Steve and f- Sam are confused again. They, they forecast out, you know, the, the betting line for the next game and, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, the Giants are currently projected to be underdogs against Seattle next week as well. You know. Against Seattle? Yeah. Is that in... No, that's... I kept thinking this was in London. Jaguars and Broncos are in London next week, right? Uh, sure. I think that's what it is. So, I was on uh, John Schmielk. I was on his podcast this week talking talking Giants, and Giants fans are excited, as they should be. It's 5-1. and one. But just like the rest of the NFL, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to explain. Um, uh, our guy, Tej Seth, you know, he had a nice little article showing EPA per play uh, league-wide over the last couple of years. Passing is at its lowest in about five or six years, and rushing, I believe, is at its highest. But either way, it's the closest those two have been in a while, which uh, which kind of makes sense. So then you, so you have a team like the Giants that is uh, they're just lurking and making plays at the end, man. They're making plays at the end. They're number one in the NFL in unblocked quick pressure. 
Yeah, that's a that's a Wink Martindale thing, right? right? You're gonna blitz, but those are the types of things, right? You're creating the late game turnover with Lamar Jackson, and you're batting down passes on a comeback attempt for Aaron Rodgers. Those couple plays here and there, you know, getting it done for the Giants. Yeah, they really are. Look, I I don't want to crap on the Giants too much. I think that they are not as good as their record shows right now, and evidently Vegas thinks the same thing. There's a reason that they are underdogs in these games, but they are overachieving, and that's important because, you know, wins and losses are the bottom line in this whole thing. That's what we're doing this for. You're trying to win games, and they appear to be winning games largely because they're very well coached on both sides of the ball. Brian Dayball um, is doing a great job on the offensive side and, and running the whole thing. Wink Martindale is clearly having an impact on the defensive side with things like the quickly schemed up pressure. So these are all good things. Um, to me, the key in this game is that offensive line for the Giants is always like right on a knife edge of being catastrophic or just about workable. Last week, it was actually okay. Um, Evan Neal had maybe his best game uh, at right tackle. Evan Neal against Trayvon Walker is a sneaky, fun little one-on-one rookie matchup this week to watch. Yeah, I like that. But like Andrew Thomas has been the best left tackle in the NFL. The rest of that line has been pretty bad. And, you know, the Jags can bring pressure. So that that's a big key to this game. If they can survive and, and keep that line just about functioning, then, you know, they can beat Jacksonville. I mean, the other thing, too, is the Giants scheming it up in the red zone and getting rookie tight end Daniel Bellinger involved, just getting different people involved. Saquon Barkley having a really nice year running the ball. Can they just keep all that up? You know, that's that's all a part of it as well. Julian Love is the guy that had that interception the other day against Lamar. He's having a nice season as potentially year four, I believe it is, breakout for him. And I mentioned the class of 2019 interior defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence having his best season so far, rushing the passer and uh, getting after the quarterback. So now the other part you have is Trevor Lawrence against this blitz-heavy attack. Mm. I'm interested to see that. Lawrence has been... Remember I mentioned how weird his game was the other day? Of course, there was one of those stats. It was like the only time in NFL history that it had happened where he had, I think it was something like more touchdowns than completions, in, more touchdowns than incompletions and lost. And there was, there was a couple other criteria in there. But he had three touchdowns, two incompletions, four sacks, and they lost. So, yeah. Hmm. What do you do with that this week? How's Lawrence going to handle this? Uh, giant squad yeah so against the blitz this season he hasn't actually been blitzed that much 22 percent of the time that's gonna at least double this week i would imagine um he's got two touchdowns two interceptions 6.3 yards per attempt uh high adjusted completion rate below average passer rating um he is better when he's not blitzed but it's not night and day like this isn't one of those things where there's a giant stark difference between when a guy is or isn't blitz. He's kind of in the middle, which is ultimately where he's been so far. Of Yeah, there's some nice things there, but it's not consistent one way or the other. The Giants, though, are going to send the house consistently and not just stress Trevor Lawrence's ability to diagnose it all and figure out where he's got to go with the ball, but stress that offensive line's ability to, one, get the correct protection calls consistently, Trevor Lawrence, the offensive line in tandem, and two... The thing that the constant blitzing and the volume of the blitzing does is make it really difficult for any offensive lineman to get help, you know? 
So if you have a weak link in the offensive line, a lot of the time you'll hear us say it's, it's not that hard to cover up one bad player on the offensive line. You give them help. You get tight ends. You get chip blocks from the running backs. You do all these things. You can't really do much of it if they're blitzing all the time because they're sending extra bodies and the guys that you would have dedicated to the weak link on the offensive line are busy. They have their own problem to deal with. So that guy all of a sudden is one-on-one all the time. And if he's a, that weak a link he's just going to lose and you're just going to get a consistent source of pressure um, all the way through. So that's the the sort of danger element to this whole Giants blitz scheme. Now, the Jags offensive line, if they have a really weak link, it's right up the middle in the center, uh, Luke Fortner. But it's actually okay in terms of pass blocking. They've it's been not, better. They've yeah. definitely been better. This it's year. not great as a run blocking unit, which is less of a concern. But in terms of pass protection against... Um, the blitz, it hasn't been bad. Now, where that changes a little bit is the peripheral players that you're talking you're talking about in terms of offering help, tight ends, running backs, those guys haven't been great. So all of a sudden, those guys are going to have to deal with actual blitz pressure one-on-one and hold up. Yeah, man, the Jags, another team that's tough to figure out because as soon as you started to get excited about them, hey, they're scheming it up, they're tapping into Lawrence's ability, and they have done a good job, by the way, I think, of of getting their playmakers into space and um, it's an intriguing offense with the speed that they have at running back, even though you thought ETN looked slow the other day. He didn't have that break. He didn't break away. Mm. Didn't just didn't break away. But they do have some speed at running back. They've got a Christian Kirk, who's a good athletic player. But I mentioned on Monday show, they are missing. Like they're gonna, we're going to get into this offseason, and people and we're going to say they need a true X receiver. Like they need a true Allen Robinson. Like when Allen Robinson hit free agency, that type of player. And I don't know how they're going to do it financially, but they are kind of missing that. So you are relying on getting these guys into space. Marvin Jones, uh, questionable again this week. So see what they can do. Um, I think I would lean. Where would I lean? If I was really picking this game, I would say Giants as underdogs. Or they're going to keep it close. They're keeping every game close. They'll keep it close. So I'll say the Jags are going to win and cover here. Okay. I would never take the Jags to to cover i will pick the giants to cover my uh my seven-year-old every now and again he's uh you start really getting into this stuff right now and every now and again he'll be like daddy remember when the jaguars beat the bills last year at home that was crazy and i'm like yeah that was crazy son that was the jags won nine to six at home yeah any given week we're gonna get that jags team someday we're gonna look back and say urban myers jaguars beat josh allen and the bills nine to six we're gonna remember that Mm-hmm. Just like my uh, my seven year old. PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by Western and Southern. In a Google Doc that's screwing me up again. This thing's rough. Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Green Bay Packers at the Washington Commanders. Carson Wentz is out for a few weeks now, broken finger. So we have Taylor Heineke going up against Aaron Rodgers. The Packers favored by four and a half here on the road. Matt LaFleur has never lost three straight games as the Packers head coach, but they got a two-game losing streak here heading into Washington. Have you seen the latest news that Green Bay, apparently their solution 
pegged solution for wide receiver is um, Chase Claypool. Oh, really? Yeah. They're going to trade for him? That seems to be the plan. Obviously, that's what would happen. Yeah. I kind of like that. Claypool upped his stock last week just by making two catches. Michael Balco reports that the Packers are reportedly all in on current Steelers receiver Chase Claypool and will attempt to trade for him before the deadline. I like that fit. What do you think? That's not... What do you make of Claypool? I, Claypool is one of those guys that is immensely physically talented but wildly inconsistent. And, you know, there's a reason that he slipped as far as he did in the draft with that physical tool set. So you have him and Christian Watson. You've got a lot of similar style players. Yeah. So I'm just like the Green Bay's problem right now is they have no elite number one that you can rely on consistently winning one-on-ones all the time. Uh, Claypool. I mean, that's a lot of offenses issues. Right. But Claypool doesn't fix that would be my problem. You know, he just adds to your stable of guys that are intriguing that can't consistently win one-on-one. Like, is that helpful? Not really. Yeah, it is. It is. Because when you're not winning one-on-one, Rodgers still was able to throw the ball out. Devontae Adams won most of the time. But back shoulder. I I just picture Rodgers in the back shoulder game. And he does this well with Alan Lazard already. He had that beautiful back shoulder to Lazard last week for their one touchdown. That's what you're going to do with Claypool. Now, my issue with Claypool, like you're saying, is the inconsistency, right? He doesn't – he's got contested catch skills, but an actually – actually like a low contested catch percentage, and the highlight reel stuff is is there, but it's it's just inconsistent. But it's still a step up. It's, it's like another option. There'll be, there'll be some good Chase Claypool games where it'll pay off. How about that? Yeah, but it doesn't solve their issue, I think, which is yeah, – I mean, who does? Who's available? Somebody better than Chase Claypool. I mean, who is available? Who's better than Chase Claypool well, that's available here at the trade deadline? You're going to trade for Terry McLaurin? If you're looking for one move to try and fix it, I would be way more interested in holding station and trying to convince OBJ to join the team than I would be in trading something for Chase Claypool. If you're going to trade, mean, OBJ just tore his ACL in I, February. He's still going to be better. OBJ in December and January will still be a better option for you than Chase Claypool, even coming back off his gimpy knee. Um, if you're talking about trade strictly, I mean, I would absolutely be trying to prize DJ Moore from the Panthers before I went anywhere near Chase Claypool. Like, if you're sort of saying, well, this is Moore's the guy. Moore's got a lot. I mean, Moore's, Moore's already been paid. Sure. So, yeah, That's it's going to cost more, but it's also potentially, I mean, it's going to cost more because it's better. You know, a lot of times things cost more when they're better. That's the, that's the whole point of it. You pay more because the thing is more valuable in the first place. Green Bay is in a position where they actually need quite a large amount of value being added to that wide receiver room, and Claypool doesn't do that. I think it just it, it makes them better enough, and it takes a little pressure off the rookies. Better enough. Yes, it takes pressure. Because I still, I still believe in Romeo Dobbs. There's Halfway through the season or so, Romeo Dobbs can be this high-volume possession receiver where if, he, if, if they don't have to treat him like Devontae Adams, if they don't make him have to have to make him the number one they're going to be okay so i think claypool at least allows that so anyway i think anything's an upgrade to be honest throwing volume at the situation is an upgrade over doing nothing and uh it might not be as good as dj Moore, but i think that the contract the contract situation with Moore is going to be a challenging one to get him in there so anyway they're up they're favored by four and a half here against the commanders uh montez sweat playing pretty well up front for washington they're actually getting a lot of pressure but the defense for the second straight year pretty inconsistent here in washington can they 
slow down this Packers offense that has actually been one of the worst in the league this year. Yeah, getting a good amount of pressure despite still not having um, Chase Young in the lineup, you know, him coming back from his knee injury. They, they're one of the higher teams in the league in, in pressure rate. Green Bay, on the other hand, is 25th in scoring drive percentage. They, this offense just is not functioning right now. Um, they are another team that's identified a weak link in the offensive line and is probably shuffling. Um, Royce Newman at right guard has been pretty terrible. Uh, the problem with, like, I saw somebody tweet, like, basically a low light reel of Royce Freeman being bad. And they, they were sort of raised the question, well, how can we, like, how can you not bench this guy? Like, well, have you asked what's behind him? I guess <laughs> that's, that's always the question. It's like, yeah. Royce Newman. Sorry, Royce Newman. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, yes, agreed, this is terrible, but you have to ask, is it better? what's behind him on the depth chart. And that's not always a slam dunk. Now, sometimes you have to say, look, who the hell cares? Like, we've got to give it a shot because this is genuinely unworkable. But so far, anybody else that's been asked to play right guard has been bad. Like, Jake Hansen is the only other guy that's taken right guard snaps for them. No, they've struggled on the interior, there's no doubt. Um, tackles have been solid, but, well, I mean, they're starting tackles when they're out there. I mean, getting David Bakhtiari back is huge. Yep. Um, and the, the two teams that David Bakhtiari has come back and Ronnie Stanley has come back basically at the same time from significant injuries that have kept them out a long time. Those are arguably number one and number two in, in pass blocking in the NFL when they're at their peak, both those guys. Um, and so far, they both appear to be coming back fairly close to their peaks. I mean, Ronnie Stanley hasn't given up a pressure yet since he's come back. David Bakhtiari has given up four pressures in four games, albeit rotating in with a couple of those. Um, so getting him back is huge. Like, you you go from... Josh Nyman actually has done a pretty good job at left tackle for them when he's been playing. But still, you wouldn't compare Josh Nyman and David Bakhtiari. It's a massive upgrade. So the line will be better, but Royce Newman, a right guard, has been a problem. If they bench him, it's for Jake Hansen, who has had one very bad game at right guard. That could be a problem for them against a Washington team that can generate pressure. Jonathan Allen, he was in and out of the game last week. Is he healthy? Seems like he's not on in the injury report. But yeah, Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat, a couple guys that could take advantage there, put some pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Um, but can the commanders do enough offensively? The Packers' defense has been disappointing so far. And it's, I think, well, disappointing might not be the right term. It's just really up and down, isn't it? It's, uh, some big runs. They've just given up some big chunk plays I think it's at the bad right, times. Yeah, I think it's the right term. But remember, they, but overall, like they've been solid. Like overall, they have yeah, but been that pretty is good in the past game. But they got run all over by New England. They gave up a couple explosive plays against the Giants, and then last week you have Brees Hall weaving through the defense on the little wing end around move. It, it's it's not. It, it's a few plays here and there. I think for the Packers, but yeah, disappointing. But, you but know, remember where the. Half where the narrative was about around this defense coming into the season. People were saying, this might be the best defense Rodgers has ever played with. This is a defense good enough to take this team to the Super Bowl, even if the passing game regresses without Devontae Adams and all those kinds of things. It hasn't been anything like that. It's been fine. It's been an okay defense, which given the investment that they've put in it and the expectations heading into the year, it has been a massive disappointment. It's really the, the run defense, as I'm saying, though. Some of these big plays that they're giving up because say what you want about the Jets and their four-game winning streak and the whole thing 
or whatever, three-game winning streak. Zach, Zach Wilson was not good last week. They made life difficult for Zach Wilson, but they're giving it up on the ground and, and struggling. So They also, yeah, they, they parked uh, Jair Alexander on Garrett Wilson all game and said, yeah, going to have to go somewhere else. They didn't. They kept targeting Garrett Wilson, but they yeah. didn't go well. Yeah, the Packers have the third lowest run defense grade in the league. So my question is, can Washington actually take advantage of that? They did have a little spark. Taylor Heineke time. We've, well, Heineke is a runner. But you've Brian Robinson coming back from the, uh, the gunshot wound in the preseason. Wounds. Ro- wounds. Robinson looked pretty good the other night. Did break, you know, get into the end zone and the whole thing. That's what the commanders were going to need to do, I think, is take advantage of leaky run defense from the Packers. I don't know if they can do it, though. So I would absolutely take the Packers to cover this, which means I'm taking Washington as the home underdogs getting four and a half points. Yeah, unless you see, unless Taylor Heineke has another one of those games, you know, like the Tampa Bay playoff game, it feels tough to see how they can hang a ton of points on Green Bay. Um, Their hope is the Packers offense still doesn't fire. They keep it low scoring and they can cover that way. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250000 in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house in 20 times your entry if you hit on all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. So sign up now. Use the promo code PFFNFL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You don't want to miss out on this one. All right, so you took uh, Green Bay? Yep. I'm taking Washington. Total opposite. Let me type that in. I got those keys. Those keys work on my keyboard. Perfect. Getting it fixed today. Keyboard's going to be fixed today. Brand I've, new. Uh, I've never related to an NFL head coach more. Uh, not Is he friend of the show? Have we had Pat Leonard on here or just in the building? In the building. Okay, friend of the company. Friend of the yep. building. Friend of the building, Pat Leonard, uh, Giants reporter, said, try to essentially shame Brian Dayball. Brian Dayball, in black in this picture, born in Canada and raised in upstate New York, rocking a winter hat in 56-degree weather. Oof. He says, uh, when you don't have any hair, it's necessary, which is 100% true. The cold dynamic changes when you're bald. And, and non-bald people, you with your hair and whatever else is that, that is, like... I wait, till, I wait for frigid temperatures to rock the winter You people hat, don't yes. understand how cold it gets when you don't have hair. And even, like, you might think you don't have much hair, you know? If you've, you're balding and you've sort of shaved it down, it's thinning, and, you know, but you still got hair there. Just that is a seismic difference to shaving it bald. Like, when you have no hair in your head, that head freezes instantly. I thought Dayball was just going full millennial. Because you can you can rock a winter no, hat in summer like, look, and get away with it. I, I can weather the cold, but I need a hat in the head. Like if I have a hat in my head, I can wear shorts and a t shirt, but I need that I need the hat. And people that people that have hair don't understand that. Look they at don't. you. Basically Brian we can get a day ball on the show, you guys could talk about 
baldness. I'm just learning a whole new, you know, world of experiences now that I don't have any hair. You should I've reach out, the, see if he's got any other... Uh, I've learned the Velcro thing. I've yeah. learned the freezing thing. There's a whole bunch of things that you haired people never have to think about. You think Dable's ever had Velcroed... Uh, oh, definitely. ...hoodie sweatshirt well, all he over his head? He knows now. He's... he's been around the block with the but ball he wouldn't thing. do that in like a press conference or anything well no because he's he knows now like i'm not going to do it again because i understand what happens can we get day ball on the line so sam can learn how to be bald a little bit better all right new york jets the other new york team new york jets at the denver broncos broncos favored by one and a half the more disrespect for the new york teams more disrespect it yeah so this is one of those uh games slash bets where the pff data really likes denver um, I think it's one of the bets of the week on the app, the PFF app, which you should go download right now and see the bets of the week. Um, and it's it's like it doesn't it's not going to feel good betting into Denver at the moment, given what we're seeing from them. Like it's wretched, it's miserable. Everybody feels bad. It it might be going south in a hurry, but they're fundamentally still not a bad team. You know, like the defense is really good. The defense is getting completely overshadowed by the drama. Yeah, the rust stuff, um, and as much as the, the like, as bad as that is, terrible. they still covered. Like they just they covered against the Chargers in that game. Okay, they didn't win, but they covered. Like this is not as bad a situation as it feels like it is because Russ is out here dropping subway commercials at the you know after it all. Oh gosh, oh man. I mean, that was like Baker doing all of his commercials as like the season's going south and his arm's broken it's like we got a fresh fresh commercial sherman and marshawn lynch were on a podcast together and (laughs) they were talking about how you can't you can't call russ directly you got to go through his people come on can't there's no direct line to russ you know marshawn was like if i can't call you directly i'm out like i'm not no why is every former team there's not been one former teammate who said a good word about russell wilson so far no like it's one of those things where it's all third-hand information so it's difficult to put too much credence in it but when it's all on the same side it's very hard to conclude it's not third hand though this is firsthand marshawn lynch and richard sherman experience and prior to this year it was third hand it was like oh there's yeah. some rumblings that you know russ isn't the the, the most likable guy. But either way... This is pretty direct. It's all very, his former teammates. It's very hard to conclude, given where it's all... It, it, all of this information is coming down on the exact same side. It's pretty difficult at this point to suggest that it's not true. Some stats. Broncos second lowest in points for. Fourth best in points against. Just using PFF grades over at pff.com. The number one defense grade. The number three pass rush grade and the number one coverage grade. The pass rush grade for the Broncos here, this was, remember how good Randy Gregory Gregory was looking early in the season? He hasn't played in a couple games. We know that Baron Browning has been the guy that has stepped up and has been outstanding, a, a legitimate linebacker-edge hybrid. Very few. I always, I always push back against the idea that linebackers can become edge defenders, but Browning has both, you know, that same multiple uh, multiple skill set like uh, Micah Parsons. He has the second best pressure rate in the NFL this year. He's yeah, so he's been, explosive. He's so explosive and he's got a good jump. There was that one play where it was like the poor Chargers. I know it's Trey Pipkins. He had no Pipkins isn't great, yeah. but he had no shot because Browning had no, half a step is, on him off the snap. He's jumping too. he's jumping the snap at an yeah. insane level right now. He's bursting Teams off the Teams have to hard count him and yeah. try to get him off his game a little bit. But Baron Browning has 17 pressures on just 111 rushes which is spectacular 86 pass rush grade so um lost in the jets win last week is the fact that the offensive line 
really got dominated by the Packers' pass rush. The, the passing offense did not do a whole lot. Zach Wilson only threw the ball a handful of times in the second half, which is fine. They ran the ball. But at some point, just like the other teams, got to win through the air. And uh, Wilson and the Jets' passing attack has certainly been inconsistent. Yeah, this is the kind of game where, like, if the Jets actually want to be for real this season, as opposed to surprisingly, you know, a surprisingly good record, if they actually want to go somewhere, this is the kind of game they have to roll through and say, we're just better than you are. But they're not. Well, I, well, I don't think they are. That's up to you to determine. But in order for that to happen, yes, their offensive line needs to hold up. Like last, so they moved Elijah Vera Tucker to right tackle the week before he played really well at right tackle. This week he went up against Rashawn Gary, and that isn't going so well for offensive linemen these days. So it makes sense that he struggled there. It's not getting easier this week because he's going to go up against those Denver pass rushers that are legit. So if he struggles, at some point, Zach Wilson needs to kind of step up and join everything else as well. Like, the Jets' defense looks really good. They've got good pass rush. They've got good coverage. Their receivers are good. I mean, Zach uh, Garrett Wilson looked, looked incredible when he had Joe Flacco throwing him the football. As soon as Zach Wilson comes on board, he kind of puts the brakes on how the passing attack has gone. They've shifted to more of a, a run-heavy offense with Brees Hall back there. Like, at some point, they're going to need Zach Wilson to actually take that step and join the rest of the team which does appear to be heading in the right direction over under for this game's 38 i really thought i might see a 28 i really thought it i mean doesn't it feel like i mean i'm all in on the under in this one <laughs> i'm generally like against all unders almost as a point of principle but any Just, game with ross at quarterback appears to be going that way these days i mean that this the the jets packers game only had 37 points jets packers last week 37 points are the Broncos, Broncos are, you know, as I mentioned, just not a lot of points being scored in any Broncos game this year yeah. for either side. So I don't know if the app loves the under. I hope they do. Uh, let's find out. Let's find out on the app. Doesn't. No, Doesn't in fact, it the hates the under. <laughs> the app Vegas gives, has accounted for it enough. The app gives an F grade to the under, in fact. I'm going for it. Perfect. I well, gotta that, go, it's got to go all opposites here. I was going to say that tallies perfectly. I would absolutely, all that said, I think I would lean Denver here. So I'm taking the Jets. <laughs> Got to mention uh, Quinn and Williams. He, yeah. Him, again, I'm going Denver. Quinn and Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and uh, Jeffrey Simmons. That whole class. Yeah. Come, like, I love watching all those guys step up and all have career years at the same time. Quinn and Williams, the pressure rate. Jets are also second in, uh, so they blitzed the second lowest amount in the league behind the Bills and the Pressure, pressure rate is four. sixth. Yeah, they're getting pressure with four. Legit yeah. pressure with four. So I actually feel good about taking the Jets here because I would have taken Denver. Maybe the, I'm tricking myself. All those sort of young interior defensive linemen are kind of coming good at the same time. Not just the guys from that draft class, but you look at what the top 10 is in PFF grade right now. Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, okay, the one old guy. But like Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons, Derek Brown is having a career yep, year, year so three. far. Um, Cameron Hayward, okay, another old guy, but Quinnen Williams, Christian Wilkins. It's a lot of young guys all starting to play at their best. Yeah, there was a, a, a short run where, you know, two-year period where those guys all came in at the same time, and they, uh, they are coming good at the same time, as you're saying. Uh, so you're taking Denver here? Yes. Like on it's not going to feel good. It, it's ugly. On purpose. I hate it. But if you I want more Russell Wilson good. talk, PFF NFL Daily yesterday, yesterday's Wednesday show, we recapped Monday Night Football, talked a lot about russell wilson in the whole thing that was so. before the subway act is has that changed your your outlook any that was today they just dropped that 
think it was today. I saw it today, so it might have come out yesterday, but... Oh, they're so uncomfortable, man. Yeah. Because he's, like, biting into the sandwich, too. Like, the, everything's just... How do you make... So, like, ads are kind of designed to be corny, right? But how do you... How do you somehow extra add extra corn to the ad? Like, Russell know. Wilson is so corny that yeah. the corny ad seems corny. It's very uncomfortable. But, like, so say what you like about Baker Mayfield, the football player, but Baker Mayfield, the, the commercial star, is phenomenal. True. Like the man is excellent at that. Maybe the best commercial football player since Peyton Manning. Like, that man goes out there and is outstanding in ads. Russell, how does Russell Wilson screw that up so much? It could salvage, you know, it could the salvage The entire him right Manning now. family is over here hawking Caesars yeah. and doing it like consummate pros, like the, the football ro- royalty, nobility that they are. Maybe because he's out here like with his blindfold and his sandwich. He's like, oh, stop maybe, it. Maybe the acting coaches can't reach him. <laughs> the, there's no direct line to Russ to go the acting coach people. to him. Yeah. His people are like, no, Russ is good. Russ is, uh, Russ is supposed to show up for, for an hour coaching. You know, no, no, we got this. No, nah, sorry. We got, uh, sorry, we got something he's, else going on. He's working out. He's working Dang. out. Uh, Steelers at Dolphins Sunday night football. Dolphins favored by seven. Steelers coming off the huge upset win against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Miami should have Tua back. Is this right? Yep. Tua coming back uh, off, uh, off of one official concussion, perhaps two. Yes. Um, Chris Nowinski's not happy. Oh, he's not happy about Tua coming back right now? No. What's the issue now? Not enough time? Not enough time. And also, so Tua gave his first kind of official comments or press conference since the concussions and gave some information about who he talked to and what doctors had told him and stuff. And Nowinski took issue with seemingly everything he was told. So I don't know who he's been talking to or like what the information is, whether it's good or not. But so this is a very, I'm not for for the sake of legal clarity you know i would like to point out that i am not <laughs> i am not placing an evaluation on any of the medical professionals that Tua has spoken to over the last several weeks i will however say that early in life with two parents as doctors you kind of assume that doctors are good you know not just like a, the morality and virtue but like are they know what they're doing because uh, i happen to be around two that did but the longer you go through life the more you come to the conclusion that medical profession is like any other profession stocked full of idiots and you know maybe you get a higher class of idiot because they got to go through a long period of training and you know study and a lot of stuff they need to get through to get to be a doctor but there's a lot of terrible doctors out there you know yeah you don't think there should be because they're doctors and if you screw up it's a problem c's get degrees yeah but apparently there's a lot of bad doctors out there and if you happen to rely on the information the bad doctors give you you can get yourself into some trouble so are you telling me some of the uh, the information that's thrown out there might not always be uh, truthful? Yeah. Might not always be correct? And maybe that's what Chris Nowinski is trying to point out, you know? Yeah, that might be a, a fair thing to point out here. But anyway, he's back for the Over game. the last couple of years. Uh, so Tua's back, and the Dolphins' offense has been incredibly explosive with Tua under center. We don't know if that would have continued. I mean, all of the the traditional metrics – the advanced metrics, if it's uh, PFF grades, good for Tua. The QBR is good for Tua. EPA per play is good for Tua. It's two and a half games of sample size. Is that going to continue? Were we seeing a trend where it's like, all right, Dolphins got Tyree Kill. They've got Jalen Waddle. The speed is incredible. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are already, they're producing at, a, at an exceptional rate right now. We were trying to figure out, Steve and Sam are confused again, on Monday, 
how did the Dolphins put up 400 passing yards and average nine yards per attempt and not score points, right? Mm -hmm. All of these things. There's a lot of good with this Dolphins offense. Can they keep it going with, uh, with Tua coming back here? Yeah, uh, big question. The other, I think the dynamic of both quarterbacks is fascinating. Kenny Pickett should be back. He was a full participant in Wednesday's practice. So now you get to see what Kenny Pickett looks like against one of the league's more aggressive, blitz-happy defenses in Miami. Um, so I think the performance of both quarterbacks is going to be uh, an angle to watch in this. Yeah, Pickett. So two, two guys coming back off concussion here. Yes. I would absolutely take Miami in this. You tell me I got to I got to take the Steelers. I'm not telling you that. You're telling yourself that. It is. I, I can't deviate. I cannot deviate here. Uh, Pittsburgh <clears throat> played a really good ball game last week with their entire secondary banged up. Yeah. It felt like this emotional comeback. So if if there's a thing that Mike, if there's a, a way that Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record, I mean, isn't last week's game one of those? one of those things that exemplifies that they come off a terrible game the the season looks like it's on the brink of collapse you're facing tom brady in the box in what should have been a get right game for them mm. and the in the steelers win tomlin tomlin does seem to get his team to play when their backs against the wall i think their backs still against the wall right yeah. they're still they're still it's still an uphill battle they're seven point underdogs against the dolphins here all the reasons that we liked tampa bay last week still make sense like Pittsburgh secondary is banged up. They still don't have TJ Watt. When they don't have TJ Watt, it's a very, very one-dimensional front seven. It's really only Cameron Hayward you have to take care of, and then you should be set. Um, now, look, Miami's offensive line is still kind of in pieces. They've they're having real struggles with that that group, even with the additions that they've made. Um, but it's really hard to see how the Steelers' defense slows down this Miami offense. So then you kind of end up saying, well, okay, if that offense puts up points, if, if Miami's offense is going to put up 28, can the Steelers score 21? Can they get to, you know, three scores themselves? Like they got to 20 last week as a team. Um, but Miami's going to bring this blitz-happy scheme. They're going to attack. They've got a variety of players up front. It feels like they should have enough to keep that – distance and cover seven points yeah i would take miami to cover i think i'd buy into their offense and therefore you're gonna take pittsburgh so i'm taking pittsburgh here uh miami's been pretty inconsistent on their on the defensive side of the ball they're not getting the same type of corner play that they've gotten in the past still love javon holland there at, at safety but inconsistent up front too from a pass rushing standpoint jalen phillips might be breaking out here in year two but again it's uh it's just it's inconsistent as I'm saying. Uh, Teron Armstead at left tackle. Mm. I mean, the difference with him in there and not in there, we saw last week with Brandon Shell, with Greg Little. That's the other thing that we don't know. Like, if Tua was out there, would that have been as big of an issue? Yeah. Would, it, would, would that still have derailed their offense the last couple weeks? Because left tackle has been... I mean, it's one of the... If you just stacked up two weeks of pass protection at left tackle for the Dolphins against any other two-week stretch in history, I haven't done it, but it's got to be among the worst <laughs> that we've ever seen. This just is the pure danger. pass protection at left tackle. This was always the danger of Teron Armstead as a solution to that offensive line. When he's playing, he's great. He's one of the best left tackles in the NFL, but he hasn't made it through a full season ever. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm right in saying that. Maybe certainly not. He's more questionable than once. again. 
Um, yeah, I mean, when we talk free agency, when we get into free agency and we're like, this is a great move getting to Ron Armstead, I still haven't figured out how to properly weigh that. The guy that you know is good, but has a history of missing games. How much does that mean he's going to miss games going forward? And how much are, say, if he misses four games, how much is that worth? If he misses eight games, how much is that worth? I also wonder, yeah, like, how does that how does that come into play during negotiations? Like, because at this point, if you're if you're Teron Armstead's camp, you know, his his representatives, you can't possibly sell the idea that, no, nah, this will be the year he plays 16. Don't worry about it. He's not going to get hurt this year. Like, at this point, you have to budget in the idea that he will miss some time. We don't know how much. It might be a game. It might be yeah. three games. It might be six games. We have no idea. But he's going to miss some time. So when you're Miami trying to sign this guy and, you know, hand him his contract, there has to be some kind of cut off the top of that, surely, to say, I mean, look, let's all be honest in this room. We're not getting 17 games out of this guy. We're getting whatever. We're, we're going to lose some unknown amount. But So it's like different than when you say sign Julio Jones. Like you sign Julio Jones, it's like, hey, we don't expect him to play the whole season, but we just kind of want him down the stretch. And if we have him down the stretch, well, he's our yeah. third receiver. or you know, it, So that's okay. When you're talking about a tackle – no team wants to deal with their backup tackle unless you have Cornelius Lucas. Particularly not Miami, who had a <laughs> yeah. like an, uh, historically wretched offensive line a year ago that this guy is supposed to be fixing. I would, I would break the bank for Cornelius Lucas, the swing tackle extraordinaire. You know, like there's only so many of those guys that you can actually trust in the NFL. You almost have to. It's like, it's like in fantasy when you have a handcuff. Like you have to have a, a Teron Armstead tackle handcuff that you're going to sign that gets even more expensive but yeah anyway my whole point is it's been really bad at left tackle the last couple weeks hopefully armstead's back he's questionable again but the steelers don't have the greatest pass rusher in the world but they do have cam hayward they do have alex highsmith and they could take advantage of weaknesses if miami has those um, all that said i'm taking pittsburgh yeah because because i would have taken miami mm. atlanta falcons coming to town to face uh, our hometown cincinnati bengals bengals favored by six and a half here yikes yikes Against the yeah, feisty Falcons? a lot of points Yeah, against a team like the Falcons who have been feisty. They are. And they, can score. They're tied for first. <laughs> right. Tied for first in the NFC South at 3-3. Three and three. I do feel, though, like this is another good spot for uh, Joe Burrow and the passing attack to look good again. Like, as far as I can tell, that goes essentially how the offensive line goes. And if the line is going to get overwhelmed, they might be in trouble. If the line isn't going to get overwhelmed they can fire like they did last year and look good. Um, Atlanta's pass rush stinks. They, they don't have a pass rush, really. They're one of the worst in the NFL. Um, they don't blitz a ton either. They're just, not, they're just not a threat as a pass rush. So if Burrow's only going to be under pressure 20% of the time again, they can look good. Now, Atlanta, they're another team like New Orleans who haven't faced Jamar Chase yet. You know? And my theory of that is anyone that sees Jamar Chase for the first time is going to get wrecked. But... A.J. Terrell has. True. A.J. Terrell has seen all of Jamar Chase in the national title game. They're you drilling again. Why there's construction going on in the building, no? For three straight years, actually, is the, is the second part of that. Why True. are they still building our building? Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a slightly different angle there. I agree with you on the pass rush. Terrell, by the way, is limited and is a question. With Casey Hayward's banged up, yeah. too. So... That's an issue. But here's what I think. Last week I said, will the Saints play their cover too, right? I'm going to oversimplify it. The Bengals still struggling against cover two. They're making some adjustments. Some adjustments. They peppered the ball to uh, Tyler Boyd against 
two highs, uh, two high safeties last week. But this week, the Falcons like to play a lot of cover two. They like to play a lot of two high. That's what they do. Will they stay with that? I think they'll have to, especially with their cornerback issues. I think the Falcons are going to be able to keep it close. Okay. Because of all that. And they're going to potentially take Jamar Chase out of the game schematically, which means I'm going to take the Bengals because I normally would take the uh, Falcons to keep it close. So I'm taking the Bengals, but I think the Falcons are equipped defensively to slow down this Bengals offense. They're going to play the style that could slow down this Bengals offense. The lack of pass rush from the Falcons, you're absolutely right. My guy Arnold Ebicady did have his career game last week, but it was against Jalen Moore playing left, mostly against Jalen Moore. The Niners backup tackles. Uh, Jalen Moore backup left tackle might be a little different against different against Jonah Williams and Lyle Collins here this week. Yeah, I think the Bengals offense. Is gonna though Jonah was has bad. Been bad. Yeah, I think the Bengals offense will have a good game. The question becomes, can this Atlanta offense, which is just a nightmare to match up with for anybody, how do they do against the Cincinnati defense? It's looked very good, but hasn't really played any great offenses. They've sort of they've they've looked impressive, but this is a legitimate test for any team this season. Um, isn't that what Atlanta's bringing to the table? It's not exactly like going up against uh, Army or Navy in the in college. It's like but, going up against Baltimore. Like, whatever yeah. they do, it's different from everybody else. Right. So it's just a challenge. Like, you only get a week to prepare for these teams. And if you don't face them regularly, it's weird the first time you're going to see this Atlanta team because you're not used to, to, to matching up with a team that can deploy – you know, Kyle Pitts and Drake London and Marcus Mariota all in the field at the same time and figure out how you match up with that with all your players that aren't those level of freak athlete. Um, it's like, you know, Baltimore runs a different offense to every other team in the NFL. So anytime you face Baltimore, it's weird because it's basically the first time you've seen it or you're only going to see it once a year for most teams, twice a year for the teams in the division. It's just a unique challenge. That's why I would say Atlanta's going to keep it close, right? I mean, they're... Their style offensively, their style defensively screams close game to me. So I'm taking the Bengals to cover by a touchdown. Uh, I will take Atlanta to keep it closer than a touchdown. Don't use my reasoning. Don't use my reasoning. My reasoning is that I think Atlanta's offense is good, and I think Cincinnati's offense is good, and I think that the defenses will keep it close enough that it's a one-score game. Seeing points? A lot of points? Yeah. Chicago Bears at the New England Patriots. It's Monday night football. God. Patriots are favored by eight. How is this Monday night football? See what I'm saying? Like, the Patriots would never be favored by eight three weeks ago. And now they are. In any game. And now they are. Bailey Zappi's, you know, leading the team that scored 38 last week against the Browns. Patriots are finding their, uh, finding their groove here. Sounds like Mac Jones is going to be cleared. Now, whether or not he plays, we still don't know. But we're assuming Mac Jones is going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, according to Bill Belichick, the Bears are basically the best team in the NFL. Gotta love Bill. Midweek. Somebody, I, I don't know who tweeted it, but apparently Bill Belichick, when asked about the Bears, gave a seven-minute, 1,000-word reply. That on how good they are. Yeah, that waxed lyrical about how amazing Chicago is at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's that's how it's always been. It's like, you're going up against the 1-14 Dolphins. What do you know? Oh, they're yeah. just incredible. This is the two They execute in all phases. The two and four Chicago Bears that I think have the lowest team grade in the NFL at the moment, uh, Bill thinks they're great. Yeah. Which to me means they're going to win by like 80. Oh, yeah. I think I think I would take the Pats to cover the eight. <laughs> so you can't. So I, I can't yeah, do it. Perfect. I cannot do it. The Bears, 
I mean, every week, as a Bears fan, we did have uh, Robert Mays on here last week previewing Thursday Night Football. Bears yep. won. Our Bears lost 12-7 to last week. They, The hope is that you're just going to see Justin Fields' development every single week. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. All of Belichick yeah. defense. All of the stats, and, and you mentioned yesterday on the show, highest percentage of uncatchable passes, sack rate is through the roof. Just the, the bad stats are stacking up for Justin Fields. Now, yes, you have to you have to add in context and how much is the supporting cast, and I, I think both things can be true, right? Supporting cast is rough, both outside at playmaker, inside on the offensive line. They're, it's all bad. Yeah. But Fields is also at the bottom end of every single negative stat as well. Yeah. What are we doing with this right here? Fields. Other than like, hey, man, when he takes off to run, he can he can turn the game with his running ability. And I, you can't like just tap into that. But if he does tap into that, that, that's like the best chance the Bears have. It's a very weird dynamic where everything in, everything in the offense is bad. Lousy receiving core, lousy offensive line. Justin Fields somehow is a negative force multiplier for the bad things. He's yeah. inaccurate throwing to receivers that can't get open. He's hanging onto the ball in the pocket, has a lousy pocket presence, and is making the offensive line look worse. It's all compounding to make it to make everything worse. But he's also capable of making absurd plays at any given moment. So it's like everything is terrible right up until he does something spectacular, and he's always, you know, if you switch off for a second, he can do that at any moment. So it, it becomes a sort of very difficult game of just discipline for a defense, which is like this feels easy because they're bad. But if you switch off for a second, he can drop a 50-yard bomb or he can scramble for 40 yards and, you know, make you look ridiculous. And really, you just need to pay attention and be disciplined for 50 snaps. And you shut him down, you win. A lot of teams, I think, probably are bad at that. You just don't have that level of discipline built in. It feels like the Patriots are not one of those teams. And yeah. Bill Belichick is acutely aware that if we just stop their freaky athlete who's fundamentally right now not a great player if we just stop him doing something crazy off the cuff we win at a canter so just do your damn job you know in the patriots when they rush the passer against mobile quarterbacks they make it a point to exactly to not win necessarily don't it's not about getting by the tackle Lane it's about compressing the pocket yes um we have not it's a it's a small sample size but i was looking it up 3.42 time to throw for Justin Fields that snap to release it, it's a quarterback driven stat not a how off how long does the O-line give you um, it's absolutely skewed by scrambles sure. right um, but it, right now it's the highest number we've seen in the NFL since 2013 Terrell Pryor when uh, he was playing quarterback by the way back with the Oakland Raiders uh, Terrell Pryor and Michael Vick that year 3.46 and 3.38 six games of, of Michael Vick so it's the longest time to throw that we've seen in the NFL and again it's in part because there's not a whole lot of in rhythm passes and then there's a whole lot of scrambles it's a lot of outside of structure plays both good and bad and uh, I don't know what to do with that if you're the Bears I do expect the Patriots to create you know five-man pressure schemes and just all these things that are going to confuse the offensive line confuse the protection all while trying to bottle up Justin Fields if he can break contain and make some big plays that's the Bears' best chance, I think. That's they, their only to me, chance. they trudge they trudge along through this game. They keep it close. Fields hits Darnell Mooney on a big play or two. Yeah, it's their hit only one of those shot. deep crossers. Fields breaks a couple runs, and the Bears have a chance. Yeah, it really is their only chance. Like it's 
they they were entirely reliant on Justin Fields making something spectacular happen a couple of times in this game. We're just gonna see if I can ask the uh, the building Slack channel what the hell. Yeah, this go is. To, go to the building Slack channel and say stop the stop the drilling, stop the oil, stop the drilling, drilling. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that? What's that from? Um, <clears throat> the other chance that the Bears have is Mac Jones just being pure rusty, or Bailey Zappi starting and turning into a rookie fourth rounder. Yeah, right? I mean, like if, if the if the quarterback play from New England is just poor, mm-hmm. missing open throws or whatever it is, because I think the Patriots have a chance to run the ball pretty effectively here as yeah. well. Uh, the Bears don't have a great pass rush. The Patriots have been excellent in pass protection. They did a great job of uh, scheming it up for Bailey Zappi and making making life simple, giving them clean pockets. So New England just looks like they've got a better team here. Uh, so I would absolutely take the Patriots. So I'm going with the Bears to cover the eight. Yes. Yes, you are. Got to take the Bears here. Uh, I will stick with the Patriots covering the eight because... For all God, the reasons I just mentioned. God, I think that could get ugly. Detroit Lions at the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas is favored by seven. Lions coming off their bye week. So they haven't scored a point in two weeks. Uh, last time we saw the Lions, they did get shut out by the Patriots, 29 to nothing. They're still averaging 28 points per game, though, offensively for the Lions. But uh, Dak should be back here this week. Is that right? Dak Officially? should be back. Is he going to be rusty? It's almost hard to believe that he just seamlessly stepped back into his job. There was no, you know, controversy, no Man, real battle, win it back. The only people, look, the world is so big right now. It's big enough that you can find an opinion on anything, which means you can be outraged about anything. And I think if we go and do the research, even if somebody said, yeah, Cooper Rush should be taken over for Dak, was it anybody credible? Yes. Who credible? Who was saying this with credibility? Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Unfriend. Current, current sort of media superstar right now, Darius Butler was bringing up that point oh Darius was saying Darius it. Darius was saying it yeah well we gotta we gotta have a little talk with Darius okay and he was just he was bringing it up it's hard to bench a guy that's undefeated now he, he's now not undefeated so you can bench him again oh it's okay now yeah you can bench him uh, that's me editorializing but I believe he was making the point that Darius is that new information that we were not <laughs> privy to previously <laughs> things were going well he was undefeated you know I don't know if you can sit him down so Dak's coming back. Will he be rusty? He was rusty last year coming off his calf injury. True. <coughs> he, I mean, me. he didn't really play the same um, after that calf injury at all, including, you know, heading into this year where he obviously we didn't see much. The, of him, the only games where he looked good was against Washington, who was terrible. And the Eagles, and who rested all their starters. The Eagles' backups. Yeah. Dak's stats Where it last felt year. like genuinely they only played him in that game to try and get him right because him he hadn't good. been playing well. So we, we play him against the Eagles backups. He'll go off, and then, you know, that'll fix it. His confidence will be back, and we'll get the real Dak again. And then, you know, the playoffs didn't happen. But like, it genuinely felt like they tried to get him right by giving him a game against the backups. Tom Brady has a quote, no retirement in my future. People are saying he's going to walk away midseason. People, I mean, I, I think I that's... People I think, are saying, I assume I this is in response to him yes, walking away midseason. I saw somebody report that, which struck me as lunacy. No retirement in my future. Does that mean that, like, Ric Flair uh, meme? I will never retire. Yeah, like, ever. Just, That's just, it. I'm never going to retire. You're going to have to retire me. You know, I'm not retiring. Remember the old joke, like, when does Christian Hackenberg be as good as Tom Brady? Like, it's... It's never going to happen. Yeah. Ever. I mean, how like, old is Hackenberg now? I mean, Hackenberg's probably decli- in, like, in decline <laughs> That's time. That's what I'm saying. Right now. 
We haven't mentioned him on the podcast in at least Christian six Christian is 27 years old now. Yeah, like he's – so Hackenberg's in his prime. Yeah. Right now. But three or four more years, he'll be on the downslope. Yeah. Brady will still be going. Brady will still be yeah. zipping it around. Yeah. So what are you looking for in this uh, Lions-Cowboys game? Cowboys by seven here against the Lions team that has scored a ton of points until last week. Yeah. But given up, a you know, more. Defense has been rough. The the Dallas pass rush pass rush going up against this Detroit offensive line, Absolutely. which has been you know pretty good, but the interior has been dealing with injuries. They the in, the injuries on the interior have been a real problem when it comes to pass protection. Those players have still been pretty good as a run blocking group, but all of a sudden you're going up against one of the best pass rushes in the league in Dallas. Um, Micah Parsons, even if he stays on the edge, is going to be an issue for either Taylor Decker or Panay Sewell. Like he can oh, beat. Anybody? Uh, number seven overall pick versus number 10, right, from yeah. last year. I mean, he's just good enough to cause even very good tackles problems. Um, and then the interior players are the weak link, and Dallas can get after those as well. So if that offensive line can't survive, can't hold up against the Dallas pass rush, it's hard to see how the Lions can – Like it feels like they'll have a game more like the last one than like the start of their season where they were putting up record numbers of points. Dallas's stunt percentage – 46 percent massive the next closest team is 33 percent so 13 percent more stunts than any other team in the league so when you talk about parsons he's gonna like technically he'll have some one-on-ones against the guards right because he'll you know they loop him around a little bit so yeah i think that pass rush against goff that could be trouble for the lions offense now on the other side of the ball dak before he got hurt did not look good it was a long time ago week one against the Tampa Bay Bucks, Dak was off. The offense was off. It looked like it was going to be bad. Say what you want about Darius and all that stuff. The offense did look better with Cooper Rush off of that after that small sample size with Dak Prescott. But there's a bigger sample size of Dak Prescott being pretty good. So can he get this offense back on track? They've relied on the run game a lot more with Cooper Rush under center. Do they actually stick with that style? Because that has not been their style when Dak Prescott's been the quarterback under Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore. But Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott have been a pretty solid one-two punch here. I think they'll find a way to put some points on the board against the Lions. Uh, yeah, like Zeke had his best game in a long time last week. Um, if he plays like that, that's that's an important thing for them. Aside from anything else, because they're not going to reduce his workload and give it to Tony Pollard where it's looked like it's belonged for the majority of the time. Feels like he feeds off of uh, Tony Pollard playing well. And every, you know, Zeke runs just a little bit harder. Like he got in on that 14 yard run or whatever it was. It's like, man, I didn't, I didn't think he had a shot. It was mm. kind of like the Travis Kelsey touchdown a couple weeks ago where it never should have been in the end zone. He just weaves through and yeah. wills it in there. Like that was good. Like if the Cowboys get that from Zeke for 15 carries a game, it could be a little bit better. But the pass game is going to be the big question, right? Getting Michael Gallup and keeping Noah Brown involved and, um, Anyway, I like Dallas here, so I have to go Lions. <laughs> yeah, where Dak goes with the ball is going to be kind of interesting because, you know, we questioned what the third receiver was going to look like heading into the season with my second, really, with Michael Gallup coming back from the injury with no third receiver sort of established after trading away Amari Cooper. C.D. Lamb is the presumed number one guy. How is that going to pan out? Well, Michael Gallup's back now, and Noah Brown has been arguably the best receiver over the first bit of the season but now you have a totally different quarterback a guy that's not necessarily in tune with Noah Brown or has any real desire to throw him the ball versus other guys how does Dak now 
work with that dynamic of, of that trio. I think we'll learn a lot this week about it. Anything else on the Lions here? Like Offensively, it's been fun watching them scheme it up in the run game. And we had some discussions about Jared Goff, how his stats were better than his uh, production. That came back down to earth a little bit against New England. But the Lions were one of the most exciting offenses through the five, first five weeks of the season i don't know what they're going to be able to do against this dallas defense though yeah and i never so i I, so as i said i have got detroit cover in the seven i never quite understood why it was as productive as it was that statistic you broke out earlier of the titans scoring on 92 percent or scoring a touchdown on 92 percent of their red zone uh possessions yep detroit was in the top five somewhere at like 70 something so i think that's another like that it's similar okay the lions had other uh, successful plays and yards as well but they've also been hyper successful in the red zone again I think ugh, this feels like a buzzsaw to run into this Dallas pass rush what they can do in the back end if Dak Prescott doesn't look terrible they should win and win comfortably but I think Detroit can keep it within a touchdown maybe I don't like this at all yeah I don't like I don't like Detroit so we're taking them <laughs> Lions covering they're gonna stay within seven here I'm also taking them I just don't like the bet great tampa bay bucks at the carolina panthers bucks favored by 11 Upside in is, carolina the app doesn't either the app thinks either way is an f yeah. don't bet on this game just it's, don't bet on what it. it's telling you don't bet on it used to have that uh wristband from the uh, ncaa don't bet on it huh. they're telling us student athletes don't you be gambling out there don't gamble don't take money from anybody don't yeah. pay now look it. at us yeah nice i mean i broke the rules back then i told you i had a i got a, a breakfast sandwich sandwich, sandwich. Yeah. So I broke the rules then. I'm telling everybody to bet now. Didn't learn anything in college. No. NCAA. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Carolina Panthers. Pan, uh, Bucks favored by 11. P.J. Walker's back. Starting once again. Yay. P.J. Walker's average depth of target last week was 0.5. Yeah. He had zero completions past the line of scrimmage. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Zero. It was miserable looking. I tweeted it out. Um, the passing chart from... Kendall Hinton completed one pass beyond the line of scrimmage. True. Uh, it, it was miserable. Literally, there's, he, only, he only attempted three passes beyond the line of scrimmage. All three of them were incomplete. Everything else was basically a short pass behind the line of scrimmage. It, I mean, it was... I, I've seldom, if ever, seen a more depressing and rudimentary game plan than the one they brought out for PJ last week, which, remember, was being adjusted from a game plan that was already rudimentary and mickey mouse to start with like this is a staggeringly depressing panthers offense that if christian mccaffrey isn't going to catch a screen and weave through eight guys and score is going to go nowhere well jacob eason did get that freebie remember early in the year baker mayfield would get like that free 60 yarder late busted coverage or whatever it was it was jacob eason swing pass to mccaffrey for about 65 so the panthers always have one of those up their sleeve yeah jacob eason the guy whose name his receivers can barely remember was it him it was oh him, that's right, right. it was yeah. Yeah. he was like whether it's pj whether it's uh you know whether it's uh, the tall guy with the yeah. with the arm and it was oh he's and then they had to come out with the the pr response the the damage limitation was nah he wasn't he couldn't it wasn't that he couldn't remember his name he just was struggling to remember how to pronounce it what do you speed. make of the bucks uh last week what should have been a get right game yeah just not getting right whatsoever i I think it was easy to make excuses for the bucks for a few weeks where it's like all right receiver injuries blah 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 
the offense looked better against the Falcons. They've got some red zone woes. That, you know, red zone goes, you know, that fluctuates. They'll figure it out. But last week was just bad overall. Against a depleted Pittsburgh secondary, you should be attacking down the field, chucking it around, and they're not. Whether it's whether it's the game plan, whether it's Brady feeling rushed, feel, you know, uh, Gotticky not, you know, not no trust against left guard there. I mean, whatever it is, Bucks are not explosive offensively like they have been the last couple of years. No, and we talked about how Derek Brown was having a great year so far. Derek Brown going one-on-one with Luke Gotticke is a problematic matchup for Tampa Bay. Um, Gotticke is a massive weak link on that offensive line right now. It's basically four guys that are doing fine and Gotticke, although Shaq Mason is injured as well now, right? Um, so that interior against Derek Brown in particular, I think is going to be a real challenge for them to scheme around because that's what's causing them a lot of problems right now. And, you know, as much as Carolina, they're, they're a team in trouble, but the defense has got a lot of pieces that can cause issues. I, th- this could be a grind for Tampa Bay. J.C. Horn coming back yet? Where's Carolina's uh, injury report here? J.C. Horn questionable. Limited participant with uh, ribs ribs injury Dante Jackson also questionable CJ Henderson also questionable concussion protocol so top three corners all questionable for Carolina not that that matters we have saw that the backups you know shut down the Bucks last week so Steelers backups um Todd Bowles call, calling guys out for uh Super Bowl highs and you know living off the Super Bowl from a couple years ago I feel like the Bucks bring a bring a better game to the table here Tom than they Brady did last week chewing out his offensive line on the sideline he was not happy he was upset yeah everybody's upset in tampa bay i i, I feels it feels like we're creeping into your doubting tom brady territory though and they and they drop 40 like they're due to drop 40 at any point here and also that's one where there's a lot of players for whom i think that would be problematic you know if they're ripping their own offensive line it feels like Tom Brady at this point in his career just has enough credit in the bank that he can do whatever the hell he wants. You know? yeah. Tom Brady can go out here, eviscerate you in public, knowing that he's in the wrong, and it's still okay. But he's because he's Tom Brady. He's done that before. I know. Ripped his offensive line and guys turning around. But now things are going south, so you know it's a bigger yeah. problem to focus on. I'm just saying that I think Brady has the kind of credit in the bank where for the rest of his career he can do whatever the hell he likes regardless of how in the wrong he is and it's still okay nobody's going to turn on him within the building or anything friend friend of the show on twitter nflosophy remember mm-hmm. you know, nflosophy uh, i don't know if he's ever revealed his real name he used to work for the bucks and he's, he loves our show he always talks up our show but he's a bucks fan we're, used to work for the bucks roots for the bucks follows them pretty closely he said he wasn't surprised by the dud that they laid yeah against the steelers in part because play calling wise, Byron Leftwich doesn't necessarily have this history of attacking. You know, like schematically, sometimes teams they say, "Hey, look, you have a bad corner. We're going to scheme up attacking you." Other teams look at it and it's like, "We're just going to run our offense and execute." And I do think the Buck. I think there's some truth to that. Like the Bucks have to find that balance. And Mike Evans, without Gronk, without a tight end, it does seem like Mike Mike Evans is the key that they need to get going. Godwin's going to get his catches. Mike Evans, though, when they scheme him up a little bit, so it's not just go win one-on-ones, which he can do, put him in the slot, have him run in seams. they got to get him going, got to get Russell Gage going. I think this week they figure that all out. But it is interesting to think about maybe they're not a team that attacks weaknesses so much as they just run their offense. they got to get more aggressive, though, I think, if you're the Bucks, and figure out how this like – they're, they're going to go as far as their passing game takes them, much like the playoff run. So I think they'll do it this week.
shoot. So I, I think the Bucks are going to cover the eleven. I have to. I have to take yep. PJ. Yeah, you got to take PJ. I hate this. I have no confidence in this Tampa Bay offense firing, and the the Panthers have lost their last three games right by at least ten points. So it kind of makes sense. But God. I really hate this because I got to do the opposite. Well, you got to take Carolina to cover. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I just don't like Tampa Bay. You're taking Tampa Bay. And you still don't points. believe in it. I don't. But I'm taking it. All right. Last game of the week. Houston this, Texans. By the way, if this we're gonna, if this does work, you're all the opposite of what you think. Mm-hmm. You're gonna like you're gonna pick up ten games on me because we're disagreeing. Oh, slash, we are disagreeing. Slash on agreeing on basically everything. Oh, dude, if I only win two this week again, it's like <laughs> just just quit, just quit. I won't pick any more the rest of the year. <laughs> Houston Texans at the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Raiders favored by seven. When we do it next week and beyond, if you've had that kind of game, you know, and it's like pick, you can just be the NFL shield. You can just have the Rob Lowe pick, you know? Yes. Every week. I'm just rooting for Every game. I'm just rooting for, for I mean, the that shield. I mean, that is what I root for. I just root for, I root for parity. I root for the NFL. I root, root for, for my model guys. Protect the shield. You're protect just rooting the for the shield yeah. every week. I'm here for football. All right, what? Vegas, seven-point favorites against the Texans. See what I'm saying? There was no seven-point spreads back in week three. I'm and now every game. Reasonably certain there was. The one in four Raiders are favored by seven. Yeah. And it's probably right. Um, I mean, the big question in this game is, like, did the Raiders actually fix anything against Kansas City, or was that just a random game that they showed up against the Chiefs, which they tend to do every now and again? Yeah. They, they do play – I don't want to say this because they got smoked by the Chiefs last year. <laughs> but you see that in division rivals sometimes, right? It's like you've got the Chiefs remember, sitting atop or the Patriots when they were sitting atop. You'd, you'd randomly get this good game yeah. from a lesser team. Remember a couple of years ago, they kind of did they kind of did to the Chiefs what the Bills did to them this past week. Yep. They almost held back, rushing Mahomes, waited for it, sort of baited him to bounce out of the pocket and then had everybody collapse in on them the second that happened. So where the Bills did it with Matt Milano as the spy – the Raiders almost sort of did it with the entire front seven. They just sort of almost literally dared him to, to bounce it out of the pocket and bail on it, and then we were ready for the second he moved. Everybody would swamp in one direction or the other. There, they yeah. did a really good job, and then they went away from that, you know, and, and just haven't hit that again. But they've shown those games where they can play the Chiefs as good as anybody, and um, the, the big thing this past time was – like their offense actually started to cook a lot more than we've seen so far. So, I mean, I'm, my big question is, if you can do that against the Chiefs, you surely have to be able to do it against the Texans. Yeah, I mean, I, all, my, all my instinct is leaning toward the Raiders here. Uh, because a couple things. I mean, I think they found their run game with Josh Jacobs. He ran all over the Broncos. He ran all over the Chiefs. He's running hard. And I do think the, the Raiders are finding their offensive identity, which is run and play action and... I don't know if they were just aggressive against the Chiefs because it was the Chiefs, but a thousandth time in a row, I'll keep saying Derek Carr throwing the ball down the field is a good thing. Devontae Adams making huge some big plays in that game against the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. Matt Collins emerging. There's a lot of potential, I think, for this Raiders offense. So I think they're starting to figure it out on that side, at least. I just checked back in the uh, the archives. Week three didn't, in fact, have any seven-point spreads, but it did have a six-and-a-half and a six. Thank you. And week two had a nine and a half and a 10 and another 10. So you're at a seven and an eight and a half and a 10. But I specifically said week three. You did. So you're technically correct, but but morally you're full of shit. I'll take it. Okay. I will take it. 
I specifically said week three. You didn't did. have this. And technically, that is correct. Just. Get a little Derek Stingley against Devontae Adams matchup here this week. Stingley hasn't had the same uh, early success that Sauce Gardner has had in uh, with the Jets. No, but I still think he's looked good. Yeah. It, like he's, I think he's sort of a, a great example of just how fine the margins are at playing corner in the NFL. He's generally been in very sticky coverage for almost the entirety of his play, and yet sometimes it hasn't been enough. Yeah. And a guy has caught the ball anyway, or the pass has gotten in, or he's missed, you know, missed the tackle and the play's been bigger than it should have been. It's so hard. Like being in the guy's hip pocket the entire way is kind of only half the gig. And you need to be able to stop the ball getting in or make a play on it when it arrives. And it's just, man, it's tough. So this feels like the kind of game where you can come away from it impressed by how Derek Stingley did against Devontae Adams whilst giving up a buck ten and a touchdown. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, I hear you. He's uh Overall, I, I'm still encouraged by where Stingley is going to go. But I think, you know, if you're a Texans fan, you want to see him and his development and yeah, continue the feistiness on the defensive side of the ball. Desmond King's playing pretty well. Jerry Hughes rushing the passer pretty well. They need all those guys to play a good game here against the Raiders. Offensively, uh, for the Texans, Davis Mills, another intriguing uh, style. It's uh, He's another guy that's like just getting rid of the ball quickly, is not – creating big time throws he's not putting the ball in harm's way not adding a ton of value to the offense but also not making a ton of mistakes i don't know what you do with that either like <laughs> you're, you're playing the game manager role on a team that's playing from behind a lot and you know doesn't have the best situation but for people that might be expecting davis mills to just lose his job at any given time i don't know if we've necessarily seen that yet he profiles similar to say the way daniel jones has played these last couple of years yeah Davis Mills for whatever that's worth right Daniel Jones is on a five and win team right now not playing ball a lot different a lot differently than Mills is yep so still pretty encouraging you see Nico Collins potentially breaking out at receiver so some encouraging things from the Texans I'm going to pick them to cover because I would have picked the Raiders <laughs> yep okay and Damian Pierce is awesome we might have a lot of force missed tackles in this game between Damian Pierce and Josh Jacobs. I will pick the Texans because I think they will actually keep it within seven. There you go. Raiders have the seventh worst tackling grade in the NFL. So Damian Pierce might break 15 tackles. That would be a lot. In this game. Jaguars are the worst. That's all the games, right? Got them all? Yeah. I'm going undefeated. Going full Costanza, is, picking opposites. This is a hell of a, an experiment this week. <clears throat> we agree on one, two, three, four games. Agree. Agree. Yeah, Which right. means we really would have disagreed only four times. Yeah. Yep. But we only agree four games here. So here we go. Week seven. That's it. Be sure to check out yesterday's preview, Saints and Cardinals. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Be sure to smash the thumbs up button. As always, thumbs up on your way out. Hit that like. And uh, go check out yesterday, too. We talked about Quinton Williams and the grade and our uh, the correction that we made. And uh, other people that are calling us out, let's uh, let's talk about it. You know, come on the air. Let's discuss. People are calling us out. Let's talk it out. Let's discuss. It's a safe space here. It's very talk. safe. Let's just talk. I called out Travis Kelsey for his nonsense. He can come on over here and discuss True. Yeah. the stuff he's making up. Uh-huh. Spreading lies. Can't just spread lies and get away with it, Travis. You probably can. Yeah. yeah. He's elusive. He's fast. He gets away with stuff. True. But if he wants to go, you know, join the show and talk about the lie that he's spreading, you can do that. <laughs> so anyway, 
I really appreciate everybody that listens to us and joins the podcast every week, three days a week, under two hours here today. Yeah. We feel like we should drag it out for another 13 minutes. We could. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday reviewing all of the Week 7 action. Enjoy the football, everybody.